In Florida, the chancellor of the state university system of Florida wrote a letter in late October to school presidents that chapters of students for justice in Palestine in the state, in the state of Florida, that is, must be deactivated. Now, civil rights groups said that this order by the chancellor violates the First Amendment. Having uh, looked at so many or read so many incidents similar to what happened in Florida, we are continuing a conversation we started two weeks ago with Dr. Julianne Malvo. She's former president of Bennett College and Judith Adu, an investment banker who has stood up in support of the president of Harvard University, who was the subject of an ouster campaign. Welcome back, Dr. Malvo, and welcome back, Judith. So, Dr. Malvo, college presidents like you were formerly a college president, are under tremendous pressure. And right now, all the pressure seems to be coming from these alumni groups and uh, donors and politicians who want them to do more to protect Jewish students on college campuses. But what about the Palestinian students? What about the Muslim students? What about the Black students? How do you as a college president balance the First Amendment rights plus you know, keeping all students safe, not just prioritizing Jewish students over all other students. Well, while Jewish students certainly have the right to their organizations, so do Palestinian students. And I think this is something that's been missing in the conversation. There is so much Islamophobia. There is so much anti-Blackness, anti-Blackness, which Ariva, it, it frustrates me to have experienced anti-Blackness on a campus there in um, California, where I was formerly a dean, um, where there was a campus climate study done that documented anti-Blackness and where no remediation, there were many conversations, oh gee, we so sorry, oh, we don't know how you feel that way. Well, what if people responded to those Jewish students the same way? The fact is that most of these young people, and I'm not disrespecting young people, but I'm gonna say this, their full front lobe has not been developed. I used to tell my girls a bit, I will not let your half brain drive my whole brain crazy. Uh, young people basically, uh, yeah, I get their brains not, so they, they, they're emotional, they're volatile, um, and that's okay. We all, we were there. Everyone, you, all three of us were sisters on a campus at a point in time when we protested. I, I remember putting a sign on my dorm door when they threatened to give me a white uh, roommate and it said, uh, off the pig. What well, said some other stuff? They ended with off the pig. Now in this climate, they probably would put me out of school. Uh, the white girl came and she saw off the pig and she left, which was my goal. Um, but in any case, neither, the, the point is that we have to give these young people freedom of speech. Now, if, if people are shouting, kill Jews, that's yeah. unacceptable. That's absolutely unacceptable. But if they're saying intifada, which means rebellion and resistance. So Palestinians are resisting what is happening to them in the West Bank, in Gaza. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that quite frankly, Claudine Gay did a decent job. Now, I wouldn't give her an A or an A plus, I'd give her a B minus, but she, did, she, but she was over lawyered and she did her best. What's going on is that one of the jobs of a college president is to raise money. I mean, you think that you're an intellectual leader and you're blah, blah, blah. No, your number one job is to raise money. I used to tell people I'm the chief development officer and the chief creative officer. And everything else 
flows downstream. So the threats of high-level donors to pull their donations clearly puts her in jeopardy. But I'm happy, I've, I've got several friends who are Harvard Law alums, Harvard undergrad alums. I'm so happy that the black alums have pushed back and said, oh, hell no. I mean, it's really important that they say we're supporting this woman. So now we've got these specious attacks on her about her dissertation. Well, they knew about her dissertation when they hired her. Um, they're, they're saying she's a plagiarist. I'm not so sure about that. You've got some white woman, um, I forgot what university she's at, who say, you know, she wishes she had just gotten credit. Here's the bottom line. College presidents are like politicians. We really are. I mean, you're juggling everybody. You got students, faculty, staff, alums, the community, your local community, the nation, and the world community, because you have alums everywhere. And you're basically walking on a tightrope, and the Palestinian uh, Jewish thing, and all Jews are not Israelis, and all Palestinians are not Hamas, and we have to make that distinction clear. But when you get in that, you're, it's like Superman hidden kryptonite. No matter what you touch, you're going to be wrong. And so I support Claudine Gay uh, vociferously. I think that she's the bomb. I was so happy when Harvard selected her. And I resist all notions to diminish her. But let me say this also, Ariva. In the last several months, I have experienced, witnessed so many attacks on Black women who are prominent. And it's really very um, disheartening. I'm looking at these idiots who are criticizing the vice president because she went to a football game. Well, she's a human being. She has a right to go to a football game. And you've got these fools. I was with Roland yesterday and his brother, his name is so insignificant to remember, said that her showing up at the football game was performative. No, she's a Howard alum. She's an AKA. She likes to dance. She likes football. Why the you know what not? Um, she stopped at a soul food restaurant that she did experience and enjoyed in the past. And this guy is just dumping on her. But then here in Maryland, we have young sister, brilliant young lady. I want you, Ariva, at some point to interview her. Angela also Brooks, who's a candidate for Senate in Maryland. And Doug Trone, a liquor pusher, um, he's the head of Total Wines or some kind of wines. He um, said he'll spend any amount of money to beat her. He's already spent $10 million of his own money. Uh, he says he doesn't take PAC money because he's not beholden. No, he's only beholden to himself and his millionaire class. But some of the things he said about her, she's unqualified. I mean, how blocking dare he? And then, I mean, and then of course you have the orange man with those two black women who are voter uh, volunteers. So as Malcolm once said, we're the most unappreciated unsupported people on the planet. And so what I see this attack on Claudine Gay is consistent with the renewed attacks on black women and our, our existence. Yeah, you've said a lot, uh, Professor Melvo, and you're right. The attacks on our vice president, she, if, you know, if she turns left, she's wrong. If she turns right, she's wrong. Uh, there are people who've just decided that because she is a black woman that she's not qualified and they're going to attack her at every opportunity. I do want to go back, to, uh, though, Judith, to what's happening to these college students, particularly those uh, who have had their scholarships revoked, have had offers mm. 
rescinded from some of the same big law firms that you and I have probably worked at or know friends that worked at. This woman, this Black woman named Rhina Workman, she is a student at NYU. She made, uh, she's a law student. She uh, made a statement that Israel bears full responsibility for Hamas attacks that have killed thousands. She had her white shoe law firm offer rescinded. She was the subject of, you know, she was doxxed. Her name was put on a big uh, billboard and driven around the university. What are you making of these students uh, that have lost in some ways their careers or opportunities to work on Wall Street and some of these big law firms because of positions they've taken uh, as it relates to the attack? You know, somebody told me a long time ago, freedom ain't free. And I think one of the things that we have to appreciate is that this is a battle, many people have said it, for the soul of America, and it's going to cost us something in order to uphold this democracy and our position in it. It's been long fought, hard won, um, and there's going to be um, pain. And I think the goal for many of us is to figure out how to lessen the pain, particularly for young people. Uh, the sister who you know got her offer rescinded is too young to pay the full price. But then again, there are freedom workers in the 60s that have paved the way for so many of us to get into some of these schools in the first place. So what do I say about it? I think it's ridiculous, uh, but this is how the game is played in America. I guess every country, power. This is a power game. And in fact, in some ways, uh, I think this onslaught that we're seeing against black women is against women. And that's why that whole scene two or three weeks ago in front of that congressional committee was riveting to me because I'd never seen that. I can't remember the last time I saw three women hold their hands up as leaders of anything in front of a congressional committee. Um, and I think uh, that tableau was frightening for a lot of people. Like Barack Obama's presidency was frightening for a lot of people. Like I assume that award that the two uh, election workers got this last couple of days ago, 100 and whatever, $48 million, make a lot of people sleepless. Um, this is, in fact, uh, you know, it's a question. What kind of country do you want? And I think one of the things that we probably underestimate um, uh, Donald Trump, uh, he's put his finger on a pulse of something that is real. Mm -hmm. And if you're afraid as the majority class that's always been privileged, never had a bad day or rarely had a bad day. Um, this is frightening for you. It is a price. It is the changing of the guard. And if democracy is really one man, one vote or one person, one vote, you're outnumbered. That's the truth. So what does that mean? Does it have to be bad? So I, in my view, I think this is the changing of the guard. I think if anything, we all have to come together. We need to have some sense of justice and if we don't have freedom to speak, we're not free by definition. And so we have to fight these things. And we're going to have to spend some money and some social coin in order to uh, make it a little bit easier um, for the people at the front lines. I think that's real. It will be cost. Have we ever been free? I mean, I'm just thinking about the many ways that progressive people, but especially progressive Black women, cut and paste themselves to be more acceptable. And I think in my own career about some of the challenges I've had and prices that I've paid for calling a racist a racist and a fool a fool. And I'm not making myself a victim. I did everything deliberately. But what I'm saying is, have we ever all been free? And, you know, because what I've uh, 
counsel young people, even in their the choice of their PhD dissertation. In that choice, if you choose to write black, will you have the right advisors? Will they clear you or will they not? If you, I mean, literally, I'm, I'm talking to a young woman now and she wants to write about reparations and she's at um, a PWI. And I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to do that right now. Maybe you wanna put some subset of it in there, start the research. And I want to slap myself, but I want this girl to get her doctorate. And so are, are we ever really free in terms of speech? We have a superstructure that's predatory, capitalist and racist and sexist. Yeah, I think we are, but we understand there's a price. So not all of us can pay it. So I think this is the real question. You have to kind of understand who you are and how much you can take. You know, everything ain't for everybody. You know, grandma used to kind of counsel us, right? You have to know which fight is yours. So for the young PhD student who wants to write about reparations, she must, understanding that it may cost her, but the work is key. The work is the reward. It isn't necessarily the tenured position. It may or may not, you may not get the, the job you want, but that doesn't mean you don't do it. And I think that's why to me, as I, I've been thinking very strategically, how do we make it easier for people to stay free? How do we support them? Because I think this is in some ways the most important time to dig in. If we're not free now, if we are afraid to speak now in 2023, my God, uh, there is no hope. So I, I just see it as, you know, there's a cost to this. There's always a cost. Some of us can bear it better than others. And those of us that can bear it or those of us who are friends can help cushion the path for others who can bear it less, you know, let's, we got to figure out a strategy to get to the other side. This cannot continue like this forever. I don't want my nieces and nephews or our children to be dealing with these same issues 50 years from now or a hundred years from now. I think that's yeah. unacceptable. That's the big question, Judith. Can things get better? Because what we've seen is we take 10 steps forward and seemingly 12 steps backwards uh, there is not just an attack on Dr. Gay around DEI issues. There's a whole attack all you know over this country on, on DEI in general. Just on DEI, DEI in general. There's a DEI yeah. general attack, and what does that mean going forward? When we when we come forward, we're going to continue this conversation because some really interesting questions uh, about how we do move forward. And what do you tell a, a 18 or 22 year old student on the campus? Do you speak up against? Israel, knowing that it could cost you your entire career? I'm going to ask that question and get an answer when we come forward right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Dr. Julianne Malvo and Judith Adu are joining me. We're talking about the price that you pay uh, in this climate when you speak out either against Israel or in many cases in support of Palestine. And I'm looking, I, I wanted to go back to this story about the NYU uh, law student, an African-American student who made a statement that Israel was responsible for the attack. She actually went on ABC News uh, shortly after making that statement. She would not back down from her statement. Uh, her job offer with the law firm of Winston and Strawn was rescinded. And uh, one of the, her, the student organization that she was the president of, she was removed as president. It was a student bar association. Uh, and she refused to change her position despite suffering 
what some would say some pretty dire consequences as a result of her conduct. So, Judith, you think we are going to get to a point and a time in this country when a black law student like this young woman, who's obviously exceptional, uh, makes that kind of statement and is able to continue to go to work at this international law firm. Is, is that your position? Uh, my position, so I have several positions. Number one, uh, I think one of the things we learned even in law school is we choose our battles carefully. So you got to be careful which one, where you put your mouth. And unless the student, any student, has something to offer, some real world experience, you can have feelings, but you also have to have wisdom. And I think one is sort of don't pick battles that are hard to win, okay? But since she didn't back down, and she has a, you know, I think she feels called potentially to speak on this matter. There will be costs. There are always costs. There's costs for you and I, for all of us to talk about this. But what I think is true is that there's not just one law firm and New York City is a big place. Um, and there are a lot of people where, that would find her courage interesting. Uh, maybe it needs to be guided. She, she will, she'll get smarter. But she's a fighter. She's an activist. So she doesn't have to have all the facts right at 23 or 24. But over the, uh, I think over the fullness of time, she's going to be formidable because she does have courage. I think the thing for us is to really look and see not to be cowed, but also to speak well. In fact, I, I have a bag that says speak life. So when you're speaking, speak expansively, speak life. Uh, this is a very contentious subject, um, not because the facts aren't clear, but what people make of the facts, what they want them to mean is the thing that we're debating. But that's been true since the beginning of America. Yes, we've been oppressed, but so what? Does that mean we deserve reparations, right? So this conversation of what does it mean to have thousands of people, you know, dying? of any religion, of any race? What does it mean? And what should we do about it? That's a conversation really, this is a power conversation. And as the changing the guards have, because if this is a democracy with one person, one vote, the numbers are against the average white human being, okay? Just the numbers. So if you wanna count every vote or even using no, the electoral college, yeah, they rather die, some of them, not all. I've well, got they don't many wanna threats. count every vote. That's why you have all this stuff going on in terms Correct. of- gerrymandering. <laughs> Our vote, Ab voting rights. Absolutely. You know, what I would say, forgive me for interrupting you, but, but okay. as, as we're talking about this young woman, she has integrity. And what I would say to my friends who are Black lawyers, because I ain't a lawyer, I don't play one on TV, but those of <laughs> you who are, need to put your arms around her, need to help her find an equivalent position to the one that she lost. Yes, it was a white shoe law firm. I don't know what that means. I guess it means a lot of white people, but um, there were white shoes. <laughs> but I think, but, but I think that you know what we have to do. I mean, I was just talking to some young people about we have to be be able to support each other. So there's some Harvard Black Law alums uh, who can reach out to any Harvard students who've been hurt. They're Black NYU alums can reach out to her. And the entirety of the, what is it, the National Bar Association of Black Lawyers ought to say, ought to make her a cause celeb. We will make sure that she gets a job. I agree with Judith that perhaps- oh, Let me stop you right there, Dr. Malvo. Those Black lawyers that you're talking about, many of them work at firms that would fire them. 
if they reached out, and let me just share with you an experience I had. So, you know, I'm working on this big reparations case. You're working on it with me out of Palm Springs, California. I was in need of co-counsel, of some big litigation heft to help me in this case. And I was introduced to a couple of African-American partners at some of these white shoe law firms. They told me that after George Floyd was murdered, they got together, they wanted to do more, they formed a group, and they were going to work on social justice causes, they were going to do this work pro bono. So we were talking back and forth, things seemed like things were going well, like she was going to get her firm, she's a partner at this firm, I should say, I won't name her or the firm, and she then, after about two or three months of back and forth, told me, well, you know, the word reparations is loaded. And there's hmm. some people who feel uncomfortable. And the reality is that she or somebody in her firm told her that they did not want to touch a case that had anything to do with reparations. And she, for self-preservation purposes, basically told me she could not do it. So I'm thinking in my mind, you all Black lawyer partners at these big firms formed to uh, together to help advanced social justice causes and the biggest social justice civil rights issue of our day, i.e. reparations, you tell me you can't touch. So these lawyers that you're calling on who help her, many of them are in the same position she is in, feeling as if they were not, I mean, they're in a position that if they do speak out and support her, they will be ostracized, fired, and maybe locked out of some of these big law firms. Now you but well, let me ask you this, because I don't understand I don't understand law culture at all. I think all y'all crazy, um, just for the record. But now, can he? Can somebody, you've invested, you even have a partner, you have to pay money and you get a share of whatever the profits. Can you be unpartnered because of a political position? Absolutely. Of course. Break it down to it, Judith. Yeah, so this is to be, uh, this is not a black and white African-American Jewish issue. This is, if you are interested, I think for all of us who, you know, have lots of friends in lots of places, I think Jewish lawyers, white lawyers, black lawyers, lawyers, anybody who is interested in free speech should reach out to this young lady and help her. Okay, because this is, again, a power issue. This is not a race issue. We break down our race, we will lose. Black people. But Judith, Judith, you're being naive. Who are the black? I just told you some black lawyers wouldn't even help me on a pro bono case because it involved what they believe. I I wouldn't have talked to a black lawyer. Let me be very, very plain, if I can put it plainly. I'd be looking for white lawyers. Who's the biggest white lawyer who I could team up with to fight the case for reparations? Because this is politics. And when I go into certain meetings, I take the folk I need to win. And I'm not sure that an all-Black group is the right team to win when you talk about... It's not an all-Black group, let's be clear. This is a Black okay. firm at an international law firm that is predominantly white. So it's a white law firm that happens I, I, to be a Black partner. Ariva, listen, you know what? I, I learned something a long time ago. Um, Wall Street taught me this, okay? When I go in a room, my job is to make the people on the other side comfortable. Why? Because I have an objective in mind. And so when I was young, I used to make it about, you know, black woman taking my place. I'm paying everybody around the table. I'm center. And then I learned, and it took me a minute, and then I learned, okay, my job is to let these folk part with money. How do I have that happen? So it's very strategic. It's marketing, it's sociology, it's a lot of things. 
My thing is whatever I need to do to enhance my chances of winning, I am now prepared to do. I'm no longer a purist on these things. So in my view, I don't think black folk can be purists because we're only six, whatever, what, 30 million black people in America, less than 10 percent and getting smaller every day. So I'm saying to you, my view would be I would get the most powerful people I could get. Chances are they may or may not be black in that white firm. That's how I would stack the deck to enhance the chances of getting reparations for black people in, in, in Palm Springs. That's just me, free advice. I'm not, you're way smarter than me as a trial attorney. I'm just saying that I, I'm looking for coalition building because black folk, I've never seen black folk, very rarely have I seen black folk win alone in this country. We need a coalition, okay, in but, my you know, view. Very, rare, very rarely have I seen white people stand up for black economic justice. Very rarely have I seen that. They will talk the talk, they'll massage you, they might even write you a check. But at the end of the day, when you talk about the basic fundamentals of our economic system, which are designed to oppress us, there are very few white people who will deal with it. I went to the gym this morning, I had on my reparations now sweatshirt, cause it was cold and it's a hoodie. And, <laughs> and I mean, I just picked t-shirts. I have, I. Yeah, I have, to, I have to declutter or whatever I have to do. But I have like two white boys that I don't even know roll up on me and say stupid shit. Choose my language. Mm -hmm. reader. Say, mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like, dude, did I address myself to you? Do not address yourself to me. But white people are viscerally afraid of reparations because it challenges everything they have. It Correct. challenges the basic fundamental. So, I mean, I, 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 have enjoyed getting to know you, but I think your advice to Ariva is not what I would give her. Put it that okay. way. So, um, so, so, so let me ask you a question. When we come forward, ladies, ladies, when we come forward, uh, thanks both of you for your advice. I want to get back to this conversation about these students because Ariva's okay. The law student Palm Springs is okay, but I am worried about young black students that are speaking out on these college campuses because, Judith, I haven't seen anyone running to their defense, whether it's a black yes. lawyer or white lawyers. And what I have seen are these billionaires like Bill Ackman say, give me her name and then send a truck around NYU with her name and her face exposing her, doxing her. So contrary to anybody coming to her aid, what people have done is they figured out ways to further humiliate humiliate and to try to break her. We're going to talk more about that when we come forward. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's be clear that in the case of this New York University law student, not only did the dean of the school not come to her aid, the president of the school didn't come to her aid. This billionaire Harvard donor, Bill Ackman called for the exposure of students like this young lady and then led a campaign to publicly humiliate them. And Judith, you says that you would like to see white lawyers, Jew Jewish lawyers and other people of influence come forward to help someone like her. But we've seen in this scenario, even white actors and business people lose their jobs, uh, face harsh consequences when they have made even the most innocuous statements about empathy for Palestine. So this seems to be, Dr. Malvo, such a unique case, a, a unique case where even white folks cannot be said to support or be on the side of someone like this NYU student because they will face consequences. 
you know, we have to stand up for humanity and humanity means everybody's life has value. The 1,200 people who were killed in the Hamas attack certainly have value, but the nearly 20,000 now um, people who've been killed in Gaza with these random, and not only random, I mean, this stuff is so out of control that Israel killed three of their own, killed three of their own trying to bomb Gaza. So the, the call has to be for respect for human life. We haven't gotten there yet for some reason, Ariva. And again, we have held Israel up and somebody's going to say something ugly about me and I don't care. But we've held Israel up as blameless, as sacred son, as can do no wrong, as they have the right to defend. But they don't have the right to just wantonly kill babies and mamas and grandmas. And that, but, but people are afraid because, again, folks don't like to hear this, but the Jewish cabal, and that's what it is, the Jewish cabal will cancel you, shut you out, if you say anything that's even slightly critical. We have to talk about Israel's right to exist. We have to say that we get to begin with that. But we also have to talk about the Gazans' right to exist, the Gazans' right to exist, and not to simply be slaughtered. And I think that because of the power that so many um, of our Jewish friends have and that they're willing to use, un, you know, just... I don't know what the word is, but th that they're willing to use what we've seen is a situation where people have been silenced because they're afraid. We cannot so afford- let me, say, let me say this. Let me get Judah to jump in here. Judah, even the statements that Dr. Malvo said, Jewish cabal, uh, power that Jewish uh, individuals have, for some, those are anti-Semitic statements. What do you say to that, Judah? You yeah, so, so I- Jewish yeah, so this I think many things can be true at the same time. So the truth of the matter is that we're seeing power applied or influence applied, whether with money or job offers or doxing people, power is being applied. Full stop. But that's not everybody. So what I want to do is I want to separate those folk who have an agenda. And this is a power play. We understand that. And I think there are a lot of us who say, we're into coalition coalition building um, for one simple reason. We can't survive the bigger fight. We're in some ways, this is a distraction. Uh, you know, there's a there was a Goldman partner, the first black partner at Goldman Sachs when I was there, Garland Woodmay, rest in peace, told me something a long time ago that I didn't it took me about 10 years to understand what he's talking about. Okay, we're sitting at a dinner. He bought one of these tables, right? And I'd never met him and gotten any time with him. So I said, you know, Mr. Woods, you know, can you, you know, pleasure to meet you, honor to meet you. Teach me, please, how to become a part of Goldman Sachs. And he said to me, he said, you're on a tightrope. And there are all these firecrackers going off underneath mm. the rope. Your job is to stay on the rope. And then he went back and kept eating his steak. And I thought to myself, what is he talking about? What is going with talking about? This is a tightrope firecracker. Mm -hmm. To me, this battle we're talking about are the firecrackers. There's a much bigger game being played, okay? In order for Black people or women to win that game, we cannot run win it alone. We need coalition building. And so we can fight between ourselves or we can actually try to solve some of these problems. Dr. Malvo, I actually agree with you on one level. Um, the truth of the matter is, this is about justice and freedom and righteousness, okay? And there are a lot of people 
of all colors and races. As a friend of mine put it, the issue isn't even religion. The issue is occupation. If there were Hare Krishnas occupying Gaza right now, there'd be a lot of people against Hare Krishnas. It's not a specific relationship <laughs> that people you know, are against. It is the notion that the land that my grandparents had, I no longer have, or I'm fighting to keep, and that's why I'm fighting. So this is a, you know, I want to say it's complicated. It's actually very human. We see it over and over and over again. The truth is there will have to be a notion, negotiation. Full stop. There'll have to be a negotiation. In this but country, won't negotiate. Country. But there are those who will not negotiate. And it's those a matter are of time. Line, those are hard Dude, lines. it's been decades. It has been decades. How but much you know what shifted? Hold on. You know what you shifted? Know, those key? who are... But Judith, listen, please, for just a sec. Those who there is no wiggle room for the state of Israel. There is no wiggle room for them. There may be wiggle room for Jewish people here in the United States. I know lots of them. They're anti-Netanyahu. They want a two-state solution. But Netanyahu does not. And our president has not been balanced in his approach. Um, the Holocaust was horrible. The world seems to still be atoning for it. So there are two things I see. One, young people. If you look at the, and I again, you know, I have, I look, I look at the numbers, which I think took a lot of, gave a lot of people pause. If the average young person, the statistics say, is actually pro-Palestinian, if you will, including Jewish students, many, um, as a, compared to their grandparents, that's a fundamental shift in the Jewish population or the young people population. And then people have to ask why. Is it brainwashing or is it the sense that the same way black people are used to be used to getting killed for no good reason, there somehow or another, there was a coming together, a lot of dynamics that one day it was one black man too many that got killed for no good reason. And it was captured for all to see. And that was the beginning of the end. I think this is a moment uh, and these tipping points happen. And I think we may be witnessing one where the combination of youth, the browning of the world, okay, is a dynamic that's going to have implications. Oh, but, but, but when you're saying you're looking at young people, are we talking about another 40 years of this drama or even 20 years of this drama, which basically clogs up, we go back to my train, the world economy, clogs up the world economy and other resources. So if we're talking 20, 40 years, I find that untenable. I find it untenable, and I find the United States' role in prolonging this also at some level untenable. So, so you know, it's interesting. The thing you is, have I, ten seconds. Ten Show seconds. Me what you can do it hey, in ten 40, seconds. 40, Forty years goes goes really fast. I've known to read it, read it for almost forty years. I would simply say this: I don't think it'll take forty years. And I think if we can come together and focus on the big issues, it will take a lot less. Well spoken, my uh, Harvard Law School classmate and dear friend. Thank you so much, Judith Adu. Thank you so much, Dr. Malvo. I need about 10 hours to talk to you two ladies because you're so brilliant and you both have such incredible insights. I am so grateful to both of you. I guess there's going to be a part three of this conversation, maybe a part <laughs> four that won't take 40 years, I promise you. Happy holidays to you. We are out of time.